I'm here joined today uh, by Clay Risen, uh, who wrote an article uh, in the New York Times called How the Debt Sling Came to be a Political Cudgel. And I'm here speaking to him today about the Star of the Beast ideology. Um, so, Mr. Risen, if you like, do you have any opinion off the bat of the Star of the Beast ideology in your own view and the, the Republican strategy? Uh, well, I mean, I have. Uh, yeah, sort of my assessment of it. You know, I think it's something that is uh, it's been around for a long time. I mean, it originates with uh, in the 1980s with this idea that uh, the Republicans were going to be the party of uh, fiscal discipline uh, in a way that was really weaponized against uh, the uh, the New Deal, Great Society, large big government Democratic agenda. Uh, Republicans had always been the party of uh, smaller government, of, uh, of, of lower spending, but in, uh, in the 80s, it became, like I said, weaponized. It really was this sort of tool of uh, painting the Democrats as big spenders and as the Republicans as the party of fiscal sanity. And it was always apparent that that was more of a sell than the reality. Uh, Republican Party uh, you know, had no problem spending lots of money on uh, the military uh, on you know certain certain programs that they endorsed. Uh, it was something that was aimed at more like domestic spending, welfare spending, uh, you know, healthcare spending, things like that. And it was also uh, utilized with you know in, when it came to taxes. Uh, you know this was you lower taxes and uh, that will you know like you said starve the beast. Uh, you know, Democrats are the party of raising taxes and. And of course, the reality is much more difficult. Uh, the Republicans often, particularly in the 80s, raised taxes. Reagan raised taxes, Bush raised taxes. But through the 90s and, and the 2000s, it became uh, a lot more um, you know, increasingly apparent that this was, uh, that this was more of a sell, uh, more of a, a fiction than a reality. Uh, and yet, um, it, it sort of became a set of talking points, right, that the Republicans were always going to be the party that lowered taxes, uh, which was increasingly true. I mean, the Republican, the idea of Republicans raising taxes uh, after, you know, after George W. Bush came into office was, was pretty, pretty hard to imagine. Right. Uh, but, you know, they weren't the party of low spending anymore. And, you know, George Bush certainly uh, had his, not, you know, both domestically and certainly uh, in foreign policy had uh, no problem spending huge amounts of money. And, and just kind of pretending that they uh, were the party of fiscal discipline. And so it, it became by the 2010s and certainly up to today, really not about spending at all, much more about taxes. And what the irony is, is that if you lower taxes and you continue to spend or you increase spending, uh, that is deficit spending. That's the only place that money is going to come out of is the deficit. And so, you know, you have this uh, today, a Republican Party that is, you know, really pretty clearly the deficit spending party, uh, right. almost by definition. They're, they're not cutting spending and yet they're raising tax or they're lowering taxes. Uh, the Democrats may be the party that promotes larger government spending, but they're also the party that puts forward a package of paying for it. Now, whether that's politically palatable or not, it's a separate question, but they're the ones saying, well, we raise taxes to do that. And uh, the Republicans still are in this idea that if we lower taxes, uh, 
then somehow that's going to play into um, a pitch down the road to cut services and to cut the size of government. But it's very hollow at this point. Um, you know, they no longer go after policies that most Americans support. Uh, you know, I think Obama Obama's healthcare law was the last one that they really went after in any serious way. Right. And so I guess to that similar note, do you think where we've reached a point, as the, the Republicans have reached a point where the strategy is almost too far gone, as in they've built, a, they've built a platform that too much relies on spending that they really can't cut it back anymore? I, I think so. I, I mean, you know, it's, it's, you have this debate within the Republican Party right now, which on the one hand uh, is still some version of uh, Reagan Republicanism, of heartland Republicanism, the sort of small town, individualistic, uh, libertarian uh, inflected Republicanism that, you know, in some ways does still adhere to this idea of if we lower taxes and if we cut government spending, we'll cut the size of the government. And we need to do that. And whether they're effective, whether they're in the end fully honest about that, I, you know, that's, I, I think that's up for debate. Uh, but then you have another side of the party that is uh, embodied by people like Marco Rubio or, or Mitt Romney, uh, even elements of you know, Josh Hawley and, and some others who are embracing, you know, not big government necessarily, but certainly a more active government role, and particularly in things like promoting marriage and promoting families and promoting, uh, you know, family stability. These are places where they're willing to spend money. Uh, the difficulty is that they're not willing to raise taxes uh, to do that. And so they come up with some pretty convoluted plans for how to actually make those things happen. And, you know, I mean, I say convoluted, I'm not a policy expert. Those right. may actually be, be feasible. But I, I think that right now, to your question, what we're seeing is, is kind of a crack up of those contradictions that have been around for a while. And, and some people sticking with them and some people saying we need to turn the page. And so, I mean, just to come to a few uh, quotes you have in the article, you say like, uh, Republicans say they'll use the vote to attack Democrats during the midterms, but it's hard to imagine making it stick, especially since the vote is about paying existing obligations, not creating new ones with more spending. And this is in relation to like the debt limit. Do you think that there is really, like to your point, because the Republicans are also spending that the attack trying to go on the count, like trying to counter is kind of ineffective. I, you know, I think at this point, you know, it's part of it is, is depending on where the economy is. I mean, people tend to think about the economy when the economy generally is an issue. And they think about the size of government and the deficit. They think about the economy as a package. You know, it's not like people sit down and say, well, I'm going to think about inflation here, and I'm not going to think about these other things. They tend to be uh, word clouds for people in their minds. So I think, yeah, you know, right now uh, in November 2021, uh, even as opposed to when I wrote that article, I think because inflation is in the air, right. people might be more well willing to listen to a message that plays to, uh, you know, concerns about the size of government. Uh, at the same time, a year from now, I don't know if that's going to be the case. But I do think that it would be hard, and this was just the point that I was making in the piece, I think it would be hard to make this kind of, what's somewhat a technical argument, right? Uh, the Democrats wouldn't raise, uh, the Democrats want to raise the debt limit, uh, the Republicans don't. Uh, you then have to explain what that all means. Right. And even though it's something that people hear in the news every once in a while, 
they don't necessarily know what it means. And especially, you know, you sort of roll out a term or a concept that people don't understand, both sides can take advantage of that, right? And so Democrats can say, well, of course we wanted to. We had to pay for all the Republican spending. We had to pay for Donald Trump's tax cuts. Uh, those are the things we had to pay for. And so it's, it's kind of up in the air. Uh, I just don't think that that is an attack line uh, that's going to get you very far with the, the average voter. Right. And like, so I guess also in the article, you talk a bit about, you know, the willingness of the Republican Party to shut down the government, you know, and like, you know, have government shutdowns. And you mentioned how um, during the debt selling fight in 2013, several congressional Republicans said that a default actually wouldn't be that bad and wouldn't be, it would be worth it to stop Mr. Obama's legislative priorities. Like kind of move, not talking about the debt limit, but I guess on the same note of willingness to kind of go to these extremes. I mean, we had Trump kind of campaigning on cutting the social safety on, um, uh, like the social safety net a little bit mm-hmm. uh, for his second term. Like, do you think there is a willingness to make those radical shifts within the Republican Party? And I know you mentioned like there's a, a crack, but could there be some certain cohesiveness that could, you know, cause kind of that, um, that shift? Yeah, I don't, I don't think, not at this point. I think that there's, um, you know, the, the electorate is split enough. I think Trump's victory showed that even conservative voters are open to the idea of larger government. Yeah, you know, they want their cake and they want to eat it too. You know, they want to have low taxes and they want to have government services. And they're particularly open to government services when they're delivered by their own party. Right. So Republican voters are perfectly happy to rail against the infrastructure bill or against the um, social spending bill because it's a Democratic project. But, you know, they were all behind Donald Trump's plans uh, that never really got very far uh, to do a lot of the same things, uh, to invest trillions of dollars in infrastructure. And, you know, so I I do think that the Republicans know that their average voter is probably not an ideologue and certainly not a Reagan ideologue the way they were. But they are open to certain lines of attack that are uh, that sort of still play on those things. You know, Republicans still you know eat the uh, eat the story that they are the party of the individual and the small state. And you know, I mean, right. one of the things that I think this is kind of an aside, but one of the things I think sometimes gets lost in the analysis is that we like we reporters, pundits, whatever, we tend to think of voters as. Uh, purely rational thinkers, and they tend to think in categories the same way that policy people do. But I do think, but I think actually most voters uh, can hold in their minds what sound like contradictions. You know, they're both for small government and increased government spending. Uh, They they accept both the idea that the Republicans are all about small government, but then they turn around and say, no, we want uh, more Social Security money. We want uh, more, you know, better Medicaid, Medicare benefits. Uh, we want, um, you know, expanded resources in the schools. These are all larger government policies, right, right. but most people don't think about those as being contradictory. Uh, they just are expressive of values that they like. And, you know, and I'm not saying that's, a, uh, that's hypocritical or that's a, a bad thing necessarily. I mean, I think it's a very confusing and frustrating thing. Uh, but it's just human nature. I think people have all kinds of things that when you talk about them in policy terms, sound like uh, completely incoherent policy positions, uh, but that's what they are. So, so just to get back to the point, you know, I think Republicans right now, especially are kind of dealing with this fact that, you know, on the one hand, they've sold for a long time this idea that they're the party of fiscal responsibility, even though they're not. And 
and uh, they've gone they've gone really far on that fiscal responsibility and small government. But now they're running up against the the truth, which is you know, given the option, their voters are actually not really that into fiscal responsibility or small government. You know, they're right. they like the ideas, but actually, what they really want is something else. But they want to somehow be told all of that at the same time, and and in the end, they want to be they want to be they want to hear it from their team. So. You know, it's not that they're going to switch parties necessarily, but they need to be given a reason to vote for Republicans. And so that's kind of their their contradiction right now. And I guess like when you say like the reason to vote for Republicans, do you think part of, you know, this failure to actually execute on Star of the Beast and have like this flip of the switch? But we'll get into that. I also want to talk about that in a few minutes here. But do you think it's also a, a part of it is that Trump ran a lot on being a populist rather than being running on the Republican values. Do you think that has something to play with it? Like the, the Republicans trying to be more of a populist party or is some yeah, part of it being? I mean, I, yeah, I mean, I think that this is still one of these things where the party still has to figure out where it is and yeah. voters don't have a clear idea necessarily about what the party represents, except that it represents uh, this mishmash of different values, right. uh, which we, uh, you know, weirdly, I think everyone kind of understands that, right? That the Republican party is both the party of right now is somehow both the party of like this populist strong government uh position and also the party of smaller and weaker government and right. how do you make those work together well you kind of don't you just kind of keep both spinning at the same time right. and expect that they will work out now within the party within the party leadership the policy world you know they're really as, as i said there really are distinct camps i mean this really you know it it does kind of break down into uh, an actual debate within the party. It's not uh, these kind of just sort of up in the air uh, contradictions. But I think that you know, voters are only going to. It's only going to. It only works when it works. Uh, and so sometimes, you know, when the party, uh, and I think this is you know the case with Trump is that you know he ran on uh, a promise of uh, you know certain populist promises. Uh, you know that we are going to. Uh, both cut taxes and uh, deliver better services. You know, right. we're going to get rid of Obamacare and deliver even better health care, right? That's, that's an important sort of duality there, uh, which he didn't. I mean, he cut taxes, but he didn't deliver any policy. Right. Uh, and he promised, you know, we'd be a very effective government. And then COVID hit and it was not very effective. And so, right. you know, people were judging him on, you know, the abilities of the government to to deliver and and so they were expecting a certain thing out of a republican government even though you know at certain moments he and certainly other people in the party had promised you know the opposite that there would be a smaller government less regulation less effective uh you know running against the state um you know it's it's uh i know i i kind of tend to ramble on these things because it's, it's actually very hard to pin down you know what what is even you know it's just, there's this sort of uh, it's almost a quantum sort of problem. You know, what is right. what is the state of the Republican Party right now? Well, it's kind of everything, right? Uh, right. You know, at once. And how does that make sense? Well, you know, it's it's sort of quantum physics. It's, it it just is everything at once. And you know, you can you can fix it in one place and kind of explain it one way, uh, right. and it makes sense. Except then you look at these other things and realize actually it all falls apart uh, right. because it's all these other things too. Right. And like I mean, you mentioned a few minutes back about how you know you have you want low taxes but you also want like a, an active government i mean do you think that the republicans 
almost acknowledge, I don't want to call it the naivety, but almost the rationalness of the voter who only judge the size of the government by how much they're being taxed, not by, you know, how much Medicaid they have or Medicare they have. Yeah, I mean, look, I think the Republicans in that sense have a very good, I mean, I think between the two parties, the Republicans have the more realistic read on where voters are. I mean, I think they get the fact that Republic, that voters are kind of irrational in that regard. You know, right. the Democrats tend to look at, Repub- at voters, uh, they want voters to be purely rational. You know, they look at polls and they say, oh, you know, voters like these policies. So if we run on these policies, they'll vote for us. Well, not, not really. They, right. they won't because there are all kinds of ways to complicate that. And the Republicans know how to do that. And they get in there and they play to uh, the, uh, the rationality of voters. They understand uh, the irrationality of the, and I don't, and again, that's not to be disparaging. People are complicated. And, and I think Republicans understand that a lot better than Democrats do. Um, and now I guess moving to, you know, today we have like two of the biggest bills ever signed or one's about to be signed. We'll, we'll see what happens. But then one that just got signed yesterday, the infrastructure bill and then the social, social safety net bill. I mean, these started off, you know, trillions of dollars of more than they ended up. I mean, could you argue playing the devil, devil's advocate a little bit that there is some form of star of the beast happening, although maybe it's not in full effect that, you know, Republicans do have this ability to be like, way we need to reduce spending and get their and get their democrats to reduce their spending but then they spend more when they're in power I mean, what do you think about that argument yeah, uh, maybe uh, you know i think that what's happened with this uh with these bills so much of it has been you know centered on mansion and cinema and it's so yes. much of it is about them yeah and you know if there were more senators if it, if it were a 53 54 uh, majority, uh, we wouldn't be having these conversations. I mean, presuming, assuming that those other Democrats were uh, you know, more to the left, well, we wouldn't be having that conversation. We'd be having, we'd have much larger bills. I think it's, it's so much a function of the idiosyncrasies of these two senators that it's hard to draw, at least at this moment. I mean, what you're saying may five years from now uh, be perfectly correct. And so, you know, it's just, it's hard to say at this moment, is that what's going on? Or is it just because Joe Manchin has these particular interests and Chris, Kristen Sinema has these particular ideas? Right. Um, that's how it looks right now, uh, much more than any question of kind of overarching political strategies or ideologies or changing natures of the parties. And now I kind of want to ask you, I guess now, I mean, talking about the future of the Republican Party. In 2022, I mean, what do you see as the Republican platform for 2022, at least? You know, it's going to be one year past these bills being signed in. So what, like, what do you see as the, the 2022 pa- platform for Republicans? Or, or even, well, is there I even mean, one? Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, if they're smart, they're going to run. Uh, they're going to run away from Trump where they need to. Um, you know, so let's set aside Trump being an issue, uh, which is always going to be there. Uh, but let's take, you know, the, the, the Virginia election, the gubernatorial election as a template, uh, which a lot of people are. And so let's take it a year later and say, yeah, the conditions hold more or less for that. Then I think you're going to see Republicans running on, uh, you know, different, different forms of an education platform, uh, one that is, uh, you know, very critical of the way that Democrats approach education, certain education issues, uh, you know, to the extent that 
exists, right? I mean, it's critical race theory is out there, but 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 I think that that's kind of the uh, a uh, you know Fox News version of what actually a lot of parents care about, right? Which is um, you know just uh, influence and say on what their children learn. Right. And, you know, a fear that they're not, they're, they're, this has always been something, right? How, how is there, how are America's children's education, how is America's children's education governed, right? Is it by bureaucrats and teachers or is it do parents have input? And, you know, Republicans have found a way to talk about that thing in a very, uh, a very divisive way, uh, but one that appeals to a lot of parents. So I think that's one thing. Uh, obviously, a year from now, we can still be talking about COVID restrictions. Um, if we're not, then maybe that shifts the issue a little bit. But, you know, let's say we still are. And that can be an issue. Uh, but I also think, you know, government spending on, you know, education spending right. is another area where, uh, you know, there is a Republican version of that that is, um, you know, innovation that is anti, you know, anti-union, but pro-spending on education, right. I think there's an agenda there that they can run on and will run on uh, that in a way gets to what we're talking about, right? Which is appealing to those voters who uh, want to see more government spending in certain areas and education is one of them if it's done correctly. So I think that's that's an area you'll see. Um, and then I think the the other agenda, the other agenda items are, I think a lot of them will be versions of what we're talking about, which is, um, you know, recognizing certain issues uh, that the Democrats have won for a while, but attacking the way Democrats approach it, right? So I think that there are going to be some smart Republicans who say, yes, climate change is an issue, but the way Democrats are going about it is, right. uh, you know, choose your adjective, uh, you know, fascistic, socialistic, uh, too much government control. It's, uh, uh, you know, too much, or, you know, too reliant on big business, too reliant on tech, whatever it is, right? It's not uh, releasing the innovative strengths of the American people, uh, but recognizing that actually climate change is is an issue, uh, which is a huge leap forward. And you know, not all Republicans are going to do that. Not all of them will need to, but the ones who are in semi-competitive districts, I think, will will embrace that. As, and, and so, you know, I think you're going to see versions of that, uh, that kind of strategy, right, by, you know, almost kind of the reverse of what Democrats did in the 90s, which was to say, uh, yeah, the Reagan Republicans are actually right about the need to pull back spending, but they're radical in the way they want to do it. We have, you know, this is sort of Clinton's approach, right, we actually have a more responsible way to, you know, to create smart government instead of big government, right? I think you'll see, um, a lot of Republicans kind of taking that and spinning it around and turning it on Democrats. And so, I mean, with these two bills, do you see that, do you see like a, a sense of neutrality about it? You know, just letting it be, attacking the spending, promoting it, saying, look, we've helped, although it was cut down, we still approved the spending. You know, we were still part of what went into that bill. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that you know, you're definitely going to see certain Republicans uh, in their districts saying, uh, you know, doing everything they can to put their names on certain projects, yeah. uh, infrastructure projects, right? I mean, you see that all the time. I mean, and, and that's not even a partisan thing. Bipartisan, uh, representatives will always try to take, take credit for whatever government, federal government largesse is being ladled on their district. Uh, 
uh, so you'll see that. At the same time, I think you know, it remains to be seen you know, what happens with inflation, but certainly if inflation continues and you know, inflation is such a weird thing at so much of its perception. And so there's certainly a possibility that a year from now, um, you know, six months from now, uh, the specter of inflation will be as present as it is today. Then I think you're going to see Republicans running on, you know, blaming Democrats for uh, excessive spending, which, right. you know, does drive up inflation. And so, uh, you know, they're going to be saying, look, even Larry Summers, the former Democratic Treasury Secretary, said this was going to happen. And right. Biden didn't listen. And now we have, you know, uh, we have high inflation and it's because of government spending. It's actually because of a lot of things, most of which is not government spending, but, you know, not totally wrong. Yeah. Uh, so I think you're going to see that. Uh, so I, I, I do think, and so in, a, in the aggregate, you'll see the party kind of trying to do both, right? Both yeah. Attacking the spending and then also taking credit for the results of that spending. But also, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, let's, especially if we get through all this in the next couple of weeks, by the middle of next year, there will be projects that succeed or fail. And I wouldn't be surprised if you also see Republicans going after individual things that have, uh, they've got rocky starts, they've got, um, you know, they weren't planned well. Uh, you know, we saw this under, you know, in the Obama's first term where uh, they were doling out clean energy credits uh, and subsidies, right. and the Republicans managed to find some companies that really didn't do very well with that right. and they were able to say see that's how the democrats mess up they have these great uh, these grand ideals and these idealistic plans and then they give money to uh companies that they didn't vet and then the companies go and lose all our taxpayer money and right. so i think you'll, you'll probably see stuff like that um whether you know <laughs> i mean and if it's not there i wouldn't put it past people to kind of make some stuff up and say uh you know pick your you know you know, pick a name out of a hat, you know, some program that's less than efficient, whether or not it has anything to do with the plans, the, the bills that we're currently talking about, I, you know, I think people will try to pin that on those bills and say, see, this the Biden administration has failed you. And like, I guess now moving the focus away from Republicans, I think you could make an argument that Democrats have done a good job of kind of, I mean, even though it hasn't really been an effective attack, but, you know, preventing any real backlash from like the star of the beast ideology i mean do you like what do you see as their defense come in 2022 and 2024 i mean do they i mean how much do they have to really dig down deep and talk about these bills and how effective they were and justify the spending if that makes sense yeah i mean i think a lot of what the democrats are hoping to have as a defense is get these bills out there yeah. and then uh then get results quickly to talk about them and hope that inflation doesn't rise. Because actually the economy is doing really well. And, you know, inflation aside, uh, people are getting jobs. Uh, you know, a lot of it is people have money and they're spending money and that's right. what's driving up inflation. And they're yeah. spending money on things that are, uh, because of supply chain issues, uh, are hard to get. And so the price goes up, it's simple economics. Right. And so, you know, that's the issue. Uh, it's not, no one has money, everyone's poor. Uh, in this sense, it's different from the inflation of the 70s. And so I think Democrats today are looking at this and saying, God, okay, two things have to happen. 
uh, we've got to get these supply chain issues solved so that uh, inflation slows down. And we've got to get these bills out there so we can start having results that we can talk about so that you know, six, nine months from now, uh, Biden and, and you know, cabinet members and senators and congressmen uh, can get out there and say, see that bridge that's being built that you always complained about was rickety and about to fall down? Well, that's, you know, thanks to me, thanks to my vote for this bill, that's happening. We'll have more of that, right? That's what they want to have happen. That's what, uh, that's going to be their defense. Um, and then, or that's going to be their offense. Uh, and then they'll play defense on everything else. And they'll play defense on immigration because they don't have a plan on immigration. They'll play defense on uh, on crime because, you know, it's an issue that uh, honestly, I think is outside the hands of uh, any particular policy uh, at this moment. I mean, they're not doing much about it. Crime reform, you know, police reform right. failed in the Senate. And so, you know, that's just going to be an area where, uh they're kind of crossing their fingers and hope that it doesn't become right. more of an issue. Right. Perfect. Thank you so much for your time. Um, oh, hey. I yeah, really appreciate it. That was a fantastic conversation. I really appreciated it. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. Well, I'm happy to help. Hi, thanks for listening to my first episode in the star of the beast collection on my podcast. I hope you enjoyed and I'll catch you in the next one. Thank you. Bye-bye.